for a long time, I hated the sound of my own voice. I also went through a period when I felt like I barely spoke, so I wasn't even using my voice. So if I hate listening to my voice, not using it, how in the world am I supposed to feel into the decision-making that is easiest and most effortless and aligned and correct for me? Spirituality gets a lot of side-eye these days, and admittedly, some of it is pretty well-deserved. Things can feel a little bit floaty, a little bit out there, and more than a little weird. But I promise, it's not that crazy. It just needs to feel a little more human. And that, my friends, is why I'm here. I'm your host, Caitlin, and my goal is to take the super woo and bring it back down to planet Earth. Whether you're spiritually curious, spiritually closeted, or just a spiritual seeker who's itching to take things a little less seriously, there's something here for you. This is a Soulfire Productions podcast. All right, my friends, welcome back to another episode of Not That Crazy, another day, another location where there might be some hilarious background noise. (laughs) I'm really just getting lucky these past couple weeks, couple episodes. Uh, We have planes overhead today. I know I talked about last week how we had some tiny elephant children upstairs (laughs) that were jumping around all the things. Luckily, did not hear any on the recording. Loved that. So hoping the same is true for the planes today. Fingers crossed we don't hear any of that going overhead. So following up on last week's episode, also not just the fact that there are random external noises that we may or may not catch on the recording, but this week I wanted to follow up on the topic of last week's episode as well. So last week, if you caught the episode, I talked all about authority This is the human design concept of how you make your most aligned and correct decisions using a unique body process. You know, each one of us has our unique process. If you did not catch up on last week, I would definitely recommend giving that a listen before you carry on with this week. Last week, just spark notes, I gave a few examples of how authority plays out or how life plays out when you do and when you don't follow your authority. I gave some examples from my own life from a friend, um, someone that I've been working with for a while. Anyway, go listen to it if you haven't. But I wanted to follow up on that topic a little bit today and kind of dig into some of the biggest blocks that I see to people actually leaning into and trusting their authority. These two that I'm going to talk about, they're so common. They're so widespread. And I'll say even just for like Living your life in general doesn't even matter if you're getting into your authority. Like, yes, it's super, I don't know, these are just big blocks to actually trusting your body. I mean, we'll get into it later, but you'll really see how this not just plays out in your authority, but in life in general. I'll give some some context and examples. But getting a little ahead of myself here, before I get into those, I do want to get a little sciency for a hot second. I think this will help explain in a different light why the concept of authority really does make sense. I think this, you know, kind of different perspective, different view on it might feel a little bit more grounded for some of you who maybe, you know, spiritual fence sitters, if you will, very much like myself. I've, you know, talked about this period of my life a couple times uh, in previous episodes where I was so fact-based, so, you know, show me the science, prove it. And why does, you know, why does this make sense? I'm very much more open and trusting now, I'll say, but I think that a lot of people in the audience might be really on that kind of not fully sold, 
like I said, fence sitting place. That's totally, totally okay. It's cool to be there and you never even have to leave if you don't want to. But I think that as with so many spiritual concepts, there's so much gold and value within them. If we can just make it a little bit more accessible for more people, not quite as out there, not quite as crazy. And so that's what I want to try to do for the first few minutes of this show is really to ground this into a little bit of you know, science, not just giving you personal anecdotes or things that I've seen in clients and friends, but taking a more, you know, physiological, biochemical view, if you will. So when we're talking about human design, and I don't think that all human design teachers really present it this way or talk about it this way, but given my background in neuroscience, I'm totally here for it. It makes a whole lot of sense to me. So much of what we're talking about, especially in relation to authority, is biofeedback. And what do I mean by biofeedback? So if you look up the actual definition, it has to do with, you know, measuring certain body systems that are usually automatic, you know, something like heart rate or maybe respiratory rate with the end goal of trying to gain some level of voluntary control over these systems that are really just running automatically involuntarily. Uh, in the background, if you will. So for example, making you aware of your heart rate in different situations in response to you know various stressors, uh, situations that might make you a little anxious, that sort of thing, to give you really concrete, you know numerical, quantifiable data about how you respond to each of those stimuli, you know each of those different environments. And then training you, you know, giving you different techniques, um, training you within those same environments with that same stimuli, to help you manipulate your response when exposed to that same stimuli again. This might feel a little bit out there in the different direction, a little too sciencey and clinical for some of you. I don't want to get too much in the rabbit hole of that, so I'll kind of stop there. But I do think that's really helpful context because it's actually quite similar within the context of human design, this, this concept of biofeedback. It's just without the same kind of quantifiable concrete data, the heart rate monitors or you know the respiratory monitors or things like that, um, this is really the relationship between what you're experiencing in the world around you or the people around you, that sort of thing, and the subtle changes to your nervous system and your thoughts and you know if you will, if you want to go there, even your frequency in response to that stimuli. So this is really something that you observe within yourself once you're really tuned into your own body and once you're noticing what's happening to your body and your thoughts and your moods and all of these things in response to what's happening around you, in response to the people around you, the locations, all of these things. And again, similar to that kind of clinical definition that I was just explaining, once you become aware of how you respond to these different stimuli, whether it's a person, whether it's a location, you can then change what's going on internally based on that feedback. I won't go too much into the specific techniques right now in this podcast. I can do a separate one, so let me know if that would be of interest. But I think a good example of how this works is a mental projector whose best decisions really come from taking samples of their environment and then talking it out to find mental clarity. Now, I have a little bit of a issue with that term mental clarity. This is actually a perfect segue into something else that I kind of want to touch on in this episode that I think is important in this kind of biofeedback 
uh, decision-making discussion. Because as I've said before many times, um, the mind isn't where our clearest decisions come from. To borrow from Katie Calder, the mind is never the authority. She says that over and over and over. That's why I heard it first. So in the example I've just gave, the word mental, I mentioned that I kind of have an issue with that. Yes, it's called a mental projector and, and that is how they make their clearest decisions, but it's a little bit misleading because the decision is actually based on the information that the body is picking up and sending to the brain for processing. It's based on the information that is being gathered from the environment. It's not based on the thoughts of the mind, which might feel like a little bit of a subtle difference, but it is a really important distinction to make. And this kind of leads me into the other sort of sciencey piece that I wanted to bring up. I have mentioned this on Instagram a few times before, but we are actually receiving more information from the body to the brain at any given point than the brain to the body by a significant margin. So isn't it super interesting if that's true that we really do rely so heavily on our minds and our thoughts, which you know we've discussed in previous episodes, our thoughts aren't always our authentic voices or expressing our authentic desires. You know, isn't it super interesting that we're relying on these things that aren't really us to make our decisions? And I'll reiterate here, I, I know I've said this in previous episodes, our minds are really incredible at a lot of things, including helping make decisions for other people. But when it comes to ourselves, the clearest feedback that we're getting and the clearest information that we are getting really does come from the body. The mind is there to help us make sense of that feedback and then to use it in the most aligned and correct decision, but it's not meant to do that on its own. And, and if you think about even, you know, all of the senses, you know, it's receiving information all the time from your skin and your eyes and your nose and your ears and like all of these receptors are working in concert, you know, sending this information to the brain and the brain processes and then gives a direction. And we can kind of read as the observer that feedback that we're getting once we kind of get tapped into and tuned into our body, but not from a place of I'm using my thoughts and I'm using my mind and my ego if you will <laughs> to make these decisions and to drive these decisions, which is where a lot of us sit before we kind of tap into the biofeedback and, and tap into the body. And I do want to make a quick little side note here and give a nod to the fact that this can definitely be nuanced, as with most conversations we have these days. There can absolutely be some work needed in the form of you know trauma healing from the body, maybe somatic therapy, that sort of thing, because for some of us, definitely the signals that we're getting in the beginning may not always be clear or correct based on, you know, the trauma. Definitely, you know, severe cases of trauma can kind of impact the the signals that we're receiving. So just wanted to make a quick note of that before anybody comes at me for <laughs> not giving a nod to the nuance of the conversation. But anyway, before I move on to a couple of things that can get in the way of, you know, really leaning into and trusting our authority other than trauma, which I just mentioned and won't really be digging into any further in this episode. 
I want to just really briefly illustrate what using biofeedback actually looks like for me in my decision-making process. I feel like I did this a little bit in the last episode, episode number nine, in case you haven't listened and want to go back. I you know, recommended that in the beginning. So <laughs> just another underscore of if you haven't listened, it would definitely be helpful. But just to touch on it briefly here. So when a decision for me feels super clear and calm, and I mentioned in the last episode that I am a self-productive authority, which means my chest and throat area, even the tone of my voice, listening to myself speak helps me land on my clearest decisions. And so when a decision feels really clear to me, it feels so, so calm in my body. I feel really expansive and open, really at peace versus when a decision is a no, when it's not aligned, it feels like nervousness or constriction in my body, especially in my chest or throat area. I've literally had it before feel like I'm choking or can't breathe. <laughs> Those are very, very clear no's. How fun does that sound? But I'll say also, if it's not clear, if what I'm feeling feels a little bit muddy, uh, if it's not a clear, you know, nervous or anxious feeling, if it's not a clear, you know, open and calm feeling, I like to call that a not right now because in my experience, in seeing this with others, in even talking to peers about this, when it's a clear yes or a clear no, it is very, very, very clear. And you will know in whatever way that looks for you. You know, it might not feel the same way for you as it does for me in my body, but whatever that yes or that no is, when you learn what that is, it will be very clear. And if it's not, it's a not right now. So moving on to those couple of blocks that get in the way of using your authority, or put another way, you know, to touch on what we were talking about in the beginning of the episode, that biofeedback piece, things that can get in the way of you using the biofeedback from the world around you to help inform your decisions. So the two biggest things that I always see come up again and again, first one being you are not actually in your body. And the second one is you dislike your body to some degree. I have personally experienced both of these. So I will give some you know, personal anecdotes as I'm talking through these. But again, I see these come up over and over and over and over again with uh, clients and peers and um, even just like general people living their life in the world who aren't experimenting with their human design. So I think this will be super helpful, just kind of thought-provoking conversation for you know anybody whether or not you're interested in in exploring your human design further. So I actually want to start with the second one first because I think this example is actually a little bit more straightforward. So you dislike your body to some degree. Let's say for the sake of this example that you have sacral authority. In case you're not familiar with sacral authority or if you didn't listen to last week's episode, this is the type where you literally listen to your gut to make decisions. So if you hate your stomach, and regardless of weight, because this can happen really at any size, if you hate your stomach, you are not going to want to pay attention to that part of your body to help you make decisions. So asking you to, for example, put your hands on it and feel into the feeling that's created when I ask you a yes or no question, or even to like listen to the sounds that you make, these guttural noises that you might make in response to those yes or no questions, this is going to be absolutely horrible for you. It is going to be like pulling teeth or worse. You know, during my peak disordered eating and overtraining days, 
I legitimately hated looking at or touching my stomach. God forbid anyone else try to like touch my stomach, like <laughs> X is tickling me or something like that. It, I, I would short circuit. It was really bad. Like I would have done anything to make it smaller, to shrink it, to make it go away. Again, don't look, don't touch all the things. So if I had been a sacral authority, could you imagine how it would have gone over if you told me to literally put all of my focus and attention, even my hands on that part of my body that I literally despised? Like past version of me is shuddering just thinking about that. That would have been absolutely awful. And I think equally on the other side of the coin, you know, my pattern was <laughs> making myself smaller, but this can also play out for those who are overweight and maybe feel shame around that part of their body. And, and the weight can sometimes be a protection mechanism hiding behind the weight. And so equally on that side of the spectrum, it's going to be really, really difficult to tap into that part of you if you're trying to hide it, if you're feeling shameful around it, you know, all of that. And this is not by any means limited to the sacral authority, this gut-based authority. This can totally apply, maybe not the same examples, but you know, this hatred of the body part affecting how you tap into your authority can totally apply to any. And, you know, for, for my example, for instance, this self-projected, for a long time, I hated the sound of my own voice. I also went through a period when I was very, very depressed, when I felt like I barely spoke, so I wasn't even using my voice. So if I hate listening to my voice, if I'm even not using it, how in the world am I supposed to feel into the decision-making that is easiest and most effortless and aligned and correct for me? Again, if I'm hating or disconnected from the part of me that is literally trying to speak through me. And I, I gave that example in last episode. So many times in my life, my authority really has been trying to speak through me. I just wasn't paying attention. So I'll leave it at those two examples. Totally let me know, though, if you want me to do a whole pod on how this could look for each authority type. I'd be totally happy to do that. I think it'd be pretty interesting. So maybe I'll do it anyway. But moving on to the second massive block I see to people using their authority. So like I said, this is people not actually being in your body or said another way, not being connected to your body. This is huge. <laughs> so, so, so many of us are not actually living in our bodies. Part of this is, you know, kind of to what I was saying before about how much we live in the mind. We have been so conditioned to literally live in our mind. You know, we make decisions from there. It's, it's where we seat ourselves, really. But part of this can also be due to pain or trauma or illness where we literally dissociate from our bodies. That was totally the case for me for a long time, um, both in my disordered eating and exercise addiction days and my subsequent chronic illness you know, journey and healing from the disordered eating and overtraining. I sometimes kind of get this visual or think of this as literally me ejecting myself all the way out of my body because I, I was in so much like physical pain and just hatred, I guess, for lack of a better word, of my physical body. Like I, in the you know peak overtraining and disordered eating days, I would be going super hard, like hard as I possibly could in, you know, back-to-back -back workouts on weekends or during the week, I would wake up at 5.30 in the morning to make it to a 6 a.m. class and then go to work and sometimes work out again after. 
all the while I'm in constant pain. Like my muscles are always in pain, always sore. And my body is literally screaming at me that it's exhausted. You know, coffee is the only thing that was getting me through the day. But I was completely oblivious to all of that. I was so in my head. Like my mind had me convinced that I could be doing more. I should be doing more. I should be going harder. You know, I could be getting smaller, all the things. So in my mind, or rather so in my mind, in fact, that it took me to the point of extreme pain and near complete physical breakdown to wake up to what was going on with me physically. Like I, it hurt me to eat was the point that I I had gotten to before I actually was like, oh, I think maybe something's wrong with me physically. And I had been getting a lot of signals before that. I just, again, was not paying attention because I was so in my mind. And I'll note too that there are a lot of other ways that we can dissociate from our bodies. It's not just working out. All sorts of ways that we numb and escape, like Netflix, like alcohol, even some things that we deem good can be used as a numbing or avoidance. Um, Maybe not technique is the right word, but activity, maybe. Um, Things like work, using that as a form of escape. So there are tons and tons of exercises and techniques out there that aim to help you get back in touch with your body. You know, mindfulness practices can do this. Breath work is a really good one. There's lots of embodiment practices, <laughs> although I have a whole lot to say on the topic of embodiment. That term makes me bleh. <laughs> so that is coming soon to an episode near you, the embodiment rant. But again, if you're disconnected to your body to whatever degree, how are you possibly going to use it effectively to support you in aligned and effortless decision making? I want to underscore that question because as I've touched on, if the best and clearest feedback we're getting for ourselves comes from our body, yet we're not even in it and connected to it, how in the world are we supposed to use that feedback? So hopefully all of this has got you thinking a little bit, no matter, you know, which side of the coin you're on, whether you're already working with your authority and interested in going deeper with it. Or if you're not quite there yet, you haven't looked it up yet, and this has helped ground it a bit more, so maybe you feel a little bit more confident in exploring it, I think these are all good things to think about and consider, no matter you know what point you're on in your journey with your authority. And I even think, like I mentioned before, for those of you who still might be, you know, maybe not even on the fence yet, you're kind of like, nah, this authority stuff, it still really isn't for me at this point in time, totally cool. I still think the final couple of points around, you know, dissociating from your body or, you know, even disliking parts of your body, because that can apply no matter who you are, no matter what you're doing, really. I think those would be really good questions to probe yourself around and start to explore. And, you know, I'll say from the the disordered eating and the overtraining point of view. It's definitely not just limited to women. So no matter who you are really is all I'm trying to say. And you don't even have to be in the disordered eating realm. Anyway, I'm going on a tangent now, but no matter who you are, I think some of these final few questions can really apply and be helpful to explore. And with that last couple of fun pieces of the episode of the day, first of all, 
what the fuck am I doing? Another mushroom story for you today. So last weekend, I went to a concert with some friends, saw Cascade again. He is incredible. I love him so much. And we took some mushrooms again. I take them not just for spiritual experiences because I like to have fun and enjoy my human experience. (laughs) I feel like there's a whole podcast to come on things that you do and don't have to do to qualify as a quote unquote good spiritual person, but good and bad don't even exist. Anyway, another tangent, reining it in. So we took some mushrooms, probably one of the weirdest mushroom experiences I've had, not in the actual mushroom experience itself, but like it was kind of flatlined. I almost feel like I didn't feel anything. And I was like, oh, maybe these are just super weak mushrooms. But it peaked really, really rapidly for a pretty short amount of time. It just like hit me like a fucking, I don't know, ton of bricks, I guess is the phrase. I'm, there's a phrase with a truck that I'm trying to find right now. Anyway, um, hit me like a ton of bricks. We'll go with that one. And it peaked really, really hard. But like, like I said, not for a very long time. And then it just kind of flatlined again. So it's a really, really interesting experience in that realm. And one of the things that was so funny about this specific experience. So after the peak happened, sitting on the couch, you know, totally just chilling, vibing. My friend who took the most mushrooms that she had ever taken <laughs> She asked what an ego death was and I like my brain was trying to explode because I'm very, very familiar with the concept of ego deaths. I have been through many myself in my, you know, spiritual awakening, if you will, in my healing journey and my self-discovery, personal development journey, blah, blah, blah. So she was like, what is an ego death? Like, what does that mean? And I'm sitting there trying to explain it. and I'm thinking so hard But my brain literally cannot find any of the words to describe this to her. And it was so frustrating for me because I totally know the concept so well. And like I said, I've been through it so many times that I was like, why can I not find the freaking words to explain this concept to her? It is really not that hard to describe, but my poor little shroomy brain just could not catch on to any of the words at all. It was really funny. and. Actually, maybe I'll save the other part for another time. (laughs) Not my experience on mushrooms, but more of her experience on mushrooms. Maybe I'll save that for another episode. So more to come from this one mushroom night. I'll leave you there for my what the fuck am I doing story. Trying to explain ego death while on mushrooms. It was a time. (laughs) And parting snapshot for the episode today. So Again, from the same night, I have another one that will maybe we'll wrap this whole night up in in the next solo episode that I have for you. But one of the questions that I was thinking of as we were trying to go to bed later that night, I don't know why this popped into my brain. Honestly, I don't know why most of these pop into my brain at any point in time, whether or not I'm on mushrooms. But I just happen to be coming down on off of mushrooms on this particular experience and sitting in the hotel room trying to fall asleep. My thought process was, who in the world came up with the idea for hotels? Like, who was this person? What made them think that this was a thing that needed to happen? Like, oh, I want to make a bunch of like tiny, not really houses, because not all hotels have like kitchenettes, I guess, but like these little rooms where people can come and stay and see these things. Like, where was the first hotel? 
Were there perhaps multiple hotels that were conceived in a similar time period in different areas of the world? Like, was this a simultaneous invention, I guess, <laughs> by multiple people? Or was it really just like one guy who was like, let's do this thing. It sounds like a great idea. And then everybody else just caught on. I don't know. How did hotels come to be a thing? <laughs> Interesting question. I'm going to leave you there. If you want to find out and let me know, that'd be great. <laughs> and as always, if you have a what the fuck am I doing story, you can feel free to DM it to me on Instagram. I would love to share yours as I will be sharing your friends next week. Very exciting. And as always, again, or as always also, you can leave a five-star rating and re review if you feel called on Apple Podcasts. It helps me grow the show. And if you DM me a screenshot, I have a super secret playlist to share with you. It's lots of fun. Just my gift to you for supporting me, supporting the show. And I mean, I guess you can also share this episode with a friend. <laughs> If you feel called to do that as well, just another way to get the word out and help me grow the show. I appreciate you as always for tuning in and for listening. Y'all are the best. I appreciate every one of you every week for being here and for coming back and all the things. So that is all I have for you today. Thank you as always for tuning in. I feel like I already kind of said that, but who cares? Doesn't hurt to express gratitude and appreciation as many times as you feel called. So with that, have an excellent rest of your day, whether it's daytime, nighttime, any of the things. I will see you here next week for the next episode. Bye.